And we'll pray as we turn uh, to God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would anoint us this morning both to preach and to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you would move, manifest your power, your glory, and your life among us today. Lord, we need you. We come, Lord, humbly asking, Lord, because our need is great. Lord, we pray that you would answer the cry of our hearts and do a wonderful work in our midst, even this morning, Lord. Would you do what only you can do by your Spirit among us today? We give it all to you afresh. We lay everything down before your throne. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, move by your great power. Lord, do what only you can do. Touch hearts Only you can do it, Lord. Lord, we cannot do it. Lord, we're asking, would you touch every heart afresh this morning? Lord, even a heart for the first time, never been touched by your great love. But Lord, would you reach in by the power of your spirit? Would you save? Would you restore? Would you revive us again? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. And as you're turning there, if you go to the New Testament, Matthew, and then work back five books, it's a hard wee book sometimes to find. But if you go to Matthew, then work your way back five books, you'll get uh, to the book of Habakkuk. Just while we're turning there, I want to just set uh, just some of the context of these wonderful prophets of the Lord. Uh, In the Bible, there are 12 minor prophets, Habakkuk being one of them, Sephaniah, Obadiah, and so forth. And there are five major prophets. It's scholars that have divided them in those categories of major and minor. It's not God. But that in no way would present to us today that these men, Habakkuk, who are one of the minor prophets, are inferior. They brought the word of the Lord. It's just simply very, very much to do with the length of the book. So the major ones like Daniel and Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so forth, and then these minor prophets, these 12 minor prophets of the Lord. What's unique about Habakkuk? And just as we turn there, Habakkuk 3, <clears throat> this is just around 605, 606 BC. Uh, God's people, Israel, as we looked even in the previous couple of weeks, again, were in a backslidden state. They had turned away from the God of Israel. God's chosen people had turned away from God. They were in a backslidden state. There was many things, much compromise, and God had brought the prophets of the Lord to bring warning to them that judgment would come upon them. And at this particular time, Habakkuk is unique in this sense that his conversation here or his prophecy is simply just between him and God where all the other prophets would be raised up. They would come and they would be declaring the word of the Lord to the people. This is very unique about the prophet Habakkuk. This is a record of his dialogue with God. And it's simply between him and God as he pours out his heart and God brings the revelation of what is about to happen. And Habakkuk lived in that day of apostasy, of backsliding. He would have seen that first... uh, When Babylon would have come up, this wicked nation would have come up and brought judgment upon the people of God. The first 10,000 of God's people being brought into captivity. Ezekiel was part of that first captivity. We read of Daniel, the Hebrew children, they were all carried away. And the judgment of God was upon the nation. And Habakkuk is is bringing his conversation before the Lord, and the Lord is beginning to bring the revelation of how he is going to live in times like these. And how are we going to live in an age 
when we see the apostasy, the rise of wickedness, the turning away from the most holy God. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, one of the great revelations of Scripture, he, he declares this, that the just are going to live by faith. And Paul grasps that uh, wonderful truth, brings it into the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He says, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And then there's three wee words, as it is written, four words, the just shall live by faith. How are we going to live through this? We're going to live by faith. This, this little verse, illuminated in the heart of a priest called Martin Luther, birthed a revival that we're living in the good of today. The just shall live by faith and the Holy Spirit led hold of the word of God and, and, and led it up in the heart of a priest. And that word alone, the just shall live by faith, brought a mighty revival across the whole world. The power of the word of God illuminated by the Holy Ghost into the heart of a man or a woman instantly, miraculously can change a life, but not only a life, a nation, and not only a nation, the world. That's the power of the Word of God. And so we see Habakkuk received the revelation that the just shall live by faith 600 years ever before Paul the Apostle received it. Paul brought that revelation of God in the book of Romans and brought it to us in the new covenant that we will live by faith. And when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth. And we are living in dark days, days of great turbulence and tribulation. But brothers and sisters, it's a day to live by faith. And so he comes into this third chapter. And after he sees the decay, the apostasy, the warnings and the judgments of God, and God is about to move in his power and raise up judgment against the nation. You know the reason why our nation is being infiltrated with Muslims and every type of religion and the rise of homosexuality in this time? Do you want to know what it is? This nation has forgot God. And this is the judgment of God upon the nation. This is judgment, brothers and sisters, as they celebrate and walk through our streets yesterday celebrating their sin and their ways. I, I watched a program of a pastor in Toronto who was arrested on the 8th of June and he was arrested for going down into a, a tolerant place in Toronto, a gay village. It's the most supposed to be the most tolerant place that you can go to. And he stood and it's recorded and simply began to declare for God so loved the world and they turned on him because there is no tolerance in that system. It's an antichrist system and that's what we're facing. And the judgment of God is upon the nations. And Habakkuk, in the midst of all of this, Habakkuk chapter 3, and this is the word and the prayer of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigayanoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Remember mercy. Revive, Lord, thy work. It's his work. It's his work. Lord, revive thy work. What a prayer. The Hebrew word for revive means to make alive, to give life, to quicken, to recover, to repair, to restore, to revive. The word simply means the act 
or instance of reviving. Habakkuk is crying unto the Lord. It's a heartfelt prayer when he sees the apostasy. He sees the backsliddenness and the indifference of God's people. And he cries out, Lord, would you revive your work? Would you do a work that only you can do? Some of the definitions of revival are as follows. The sovereign act of God in which he restores his own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. J. Edwin Orr simply quoted Acts 3 and 19 and said, Revival is the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Robert Coleman said, It's the awakening or quickening of God's people to their true nature and their purpose. Charles Finney said, It's the return of the church from her backsliding and the conversion of sinners. Richard Roberts said, It's an extraordinary movement of the Holy Ghost producing extraordinary results. Duncan Campbell said, It's when a community is saturated with the presence of Almighty God. Earl Kern said, It's the work of the Holy Spirit in restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness, and work by prayer and the word after repentance and crisis of their spiritual decline. It's a revival that Habakkuk prayed for in the midst of the years. The years were wicked. The years were dark. And the people of God were in a backslidden state. One preacher that we know well said, if the cover was to be lifted of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would look more like the gates of hell than the gates of heaven. It would be more like the gates of hell than the gates of heaven. Because in a time of apathy, in a time of indifference, in a time of apostasy, in a time when the people of God are just going through the motions of religion. You know, we have heard it often. You can teach a monkey to lift up its hands, but that doesn't mean it's praising the Lord. We can learn how to do all these things, even how to pray, how to say the right things, how to go through the motions of religion. But brothers and sisters this morning, there's something completely different when the river and the life and the power of the Holy Ghost takes a hold of the people of God, purifies the church, makes her holy, empowers her with an adjournment from on high and raises her up to what God has purposed her to be. And there must be an inward work before there's an outward work. Most of the time, we'll read the results of revival. I do. I enjoy the testimonies. I, I, I soak in the reality of an outworking of the power of the Holy Ghost. Imagine the power of God being let loose in this quiet 
country town of Balnehinch. Imagine the power of a living Christ flowing onto the streets of Balnehinch and the surrounding towns and our cities. The living life of Jesus flowing in all its fullness and the power of God moving. Souls being saved. Men and women being delivered from the power of hell. Set free by the power of a living Christ. The outworkings of the power of the Holy Spirit. But before there's ever an outworking, there's always an inworking power. The purifying work of the Holy Ghost in the midst of the church. You see this morning, these words of the seven churches of Revelation should ring in every heart of every believer. I know thy works. In other words, there is nothing. You can hide it from me, and I can hide it from you. But there's nothing this morning that's hid from him that walks in the midst of the church. You know this morning that Jesus is here. You know that Jesus is in this room this morning. You know that he's walked these very eyes this morning. You know that he's heard every cry. You know that he's seen every heart. He knows every feeling. He knows every sin. He knows every failure. Yet he's so gracious this morning that he wants to commune with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to deliver us. He wants to set us on fire by the power of his spirit. He simply says, I know this morning. I know. He knows in a day of apostasy, backsliddenness and indifference and all the besetting sins and all the diversity of personalities and everything that goes on in the heart of every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. Nothing's hid from him. And for so long the church can just tick along doing their thing, going through the motions of religion. But yet underneath it all, the reality of the holiness and the purifying work of the Holy Spirit that's so desperately needed in the church of Jesus Christ to raise her up in the power of the Holy Ghost. The church needs to be purified. And see, we can go through all of this and carry on. And yet in the midst of it all, God sees who's backslidden this morning. He sees who's cold. He knows this morning the pointing finger, the judgment that's held in people's heart against a brother or a sister. He knows the bitterness. He knows the envy. He knows the immorality. He knows the besetting sin. He knows the powerlessness, the barrenness, the brokenness. He sees the hurt. He sees the pain. He sees the wandering. He sees the backslider. But in his mercy, nobody does. He still walks in the midst of his people. His heart is to renew us, to revive us again, that the people of the Lord might rejoice in Him. The power of revival and revival, we'll make a choice for a revival God's way, or we can have a revival man's way. And brothers and sisters, we have had enough of revival man's way. Brother Al Whittingall will get his wee prayer letter, and he wrote this article on Revival, and he simply categorized and worked his way through revival God's way or revival man's way. Revival God's way is agonizing and desperate prayer. Revival man's way is organizing and diligent planning. 
Revival God's way is God's word. And thus saith the Lord. Revival man's way is man's ideas. And the best scholars say. Revival God's way is confession of sin. Revival man's way is counseling for problems. Revival God's way is a consciousness of God and the fear of the Lord. Revival man's way is seeker sensitive and the fear of offending man. Revival God's way is the cross, self-renunciation, denying ourself and fasting. But revival man's way is a cushion, comfort, self-improvement, accept who you are and feasting. Revival God's way is obedience and faith. Revival man's way is activity and success. Revival God's way is the power of the Holy Ghost. Revival man's way are man's talents and man's special effects. Revival God's way is radical and we are the salt of the earth. Revival man's way is respectable and we try to be sugar. Revival God's way is endowment. Revival man's way is equipment. Revival God's way is the glory. And revival man's way is the glitter. Revival God's way is brokenness and devotion. Revival man's way is brilliance, promotion and emotion. Revival God's way is righteousness. Revival man's way is morality of man. Revival God's way is to seek and to draw the heart of God. Revival man's way is to draw men in. Revival God's way is the bowing of the knee. Revival man's way is the pumping of the foot. Revival God's way is a call to holiness. And revival man's way is woed the happiness. God give us revival, but give us revival God's way. Some things to mark about a genuine, true revival. A true revival. First of all is this. And there might be other points that someone might raise and they are right as well. But I believe these points are crucial. Number one, Jesus Christ is highly exalted. And he is the one that people come to see and to worship. It's not to create a ministry. It's not to try to promote self or a church or a denomination. The one focus in revival that's off God is the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come, the Holy Spirit, not to glorify man, but to glorify him. And his name is Jesus that's revival. If you see men in white suits and flashing lights and they're cutting their CDs and selling their books, brothers and sisters, there's only one name in revival and that's the name of Jesus. Secondly, about revival, and we'll come to it over these weeks, this is a genuine revival. The church is purified by the sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost. That is crucial in revival. Any revival that does not produce holy men and women is not a revival from God. You hear me? Because there's many revivals. Many people flying over the world to get a touch or an impartation or whatever. But let me tell you, if it doesn't produce us to be more like Him, holy, united together, then it's not from God. Number three, the power of God moves in extraordinary ways with signs following in the salvation of souls, in healings, and deliverances, and in supernatural wonders. Brothers and sisters, we need revival. I was listening to some of the testimonies of the revival in Azusa Street. And this was normal practice. 
This was not extraordinary in the revival, but it's extraordinary to many of us sitting here today. But in revival, a man comes through the door. The power of God is so great in that meeting. Ordinary folk, ordinary men and women, and the power of God so mightily moving in that meeting. A man comes through the door with no arm. Whether he had been born that way or he had lost it in an accident, all he had was a very small bone just coming out of where his shoulder is. And as he walked in, he asked for prayer. And they began to pray for this man. And as they prayed for him in the midst of that meeting, maybe a similar meeting to this, the power of God mightily began to move upon that man. Suddenly as they were looking, the bone began to grow. Flesh began to come. An arm began to grow out in the midst of that meeting. A hand formed. Nails came upon a hand. And the whole place broke in to rejoicing in the living reality of a God that's able to do anything. We say there's nothing too hard for Him. But many wouldn't even believe that could happen. Or a man that came in with a disfigured face. He had a jaw. On one side that was launched away down over his chest. And as they prayed for him, they, they claimed that in the meeting, the very bones could be heard beginning to crack as the power of God moved. And suddenly his whole face was restored in the moment because the life and the power and the reality of an almighty God was in the midst. A young boy prayed, prayed, a young boy laid his hands. Children, listen, because if the adults don't get it, please make sure you get it. But an old man came in who was blind, couldn't see. And that young boy said, what can we do for you? He says, I'm blind. I need prayer. And the young boy laid his hands on him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, be have sight, and suddenly that man was able to see clearly by the power of Almighty God. Extraordinary events happen in revival. But let me tell you what's happening. God's just bringing it back to the way it always was. You cannot read the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, and we have many times preached on it, read it, But brothers and sisters, those 12 chapters of the book of Acts is the measuring rod for the church. Not a statement of faith. Not a church idea. Not what a committee has come up with. Not what a denomination says. Not what the great senate say when they meet together. All the bishops that meet together. The measuring rod for the church of Jesus Christ is the first 12 chapters in the book of Acts. God came down in an upper room, filled 120 people with a power of the Holy Ghost. They were all filled, remember? The whole room was filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And God immobilized a group of men and women and young people, filling them with the power of the Holy Ghost. And mighty signs and wonders followed them. That what? That believed. Those 12 chapters, salvations, healings, deliverances, men translated supernatural wonders. But that happened then. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, this book tells me that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. Revival. Revival. We need a Holy Ghost. Revival. Humility really begins when an individual recognizes they need God. 
That's humility. I wonder how many in this room as believers, I know revival can be a contentious point. I don't know why, because I need revival. But how many believers this morning, in all honesty, in the depth of their heart, in the midst of the years in which we live, in the time and the season that we have come to, in all our individual battles, struggles, and all that we go through, how many in this room this morning as a believer would simply say from the depths of their heart, God, I need you. Just a cry from the depths that says, God, I'm not in the place that I'm supposed to be. I'm not walking the way I really want to walk. I'm not in the fullness and the power and the reality and the flow and love of Christ the way I should be. Some may be sitting here this morning. I don't say this to condemn you, but you possibly haven't opened your Bible in a week. You possibly haven't even looked at the Word of God in a week from last week to this week. Some here this morning, you see, this isn't legalism. I want you to hear this. Because if He's our life this morning, if He is our all in all, then surely we want to spend time with Him. Surely we want to read about Him. Surely we want to seek Him. And if we can see that in our lives there's a shortness, there's a falling, but there's a longing in the depths of our heart, God, I need to meet with you. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. If there's a cry in your heart this morning that says, God, I'm not content where I am. I want you. I want to tell you there's mercy with God. I want to tell you he's not going to cast you off. What he's saying this morning to you is, come to me, but come humbly. Acknowledge your need of me. I know all about you. I know every feeling, every sin. I know your unbelief. But yet he wants to meet with us. That's humility. But when we just stick the suit on and when we walk in and everything's great and we're trying to pretend, or it doesn't have to be a suit, by the way. It doesn't matter whether it is or it isn't. We come so focused. We've allowed the devil to be so subtle. He makes all these wee things up in the church so they don't wear a suit and they wear a suit. They're legalists. They're free. They're in grace. They're not. It's nonsense, brothers and sisters. God's looking for a heart. He's looking for a heart that cries out, God, we need you. We're desperate for you. We need you to come in your glory. Have your way, Lord, among us. That's humility. We know in all of this, and this is the essence of where we'll begin, and I believe it's everything in revival. Revival, for me, I believe, is the manifestation of the life of God. That's all it is. But that's everything. You see, we know that the battle here this morning, do you know what's to do with? It's to do with life. That's the battle. It's the life of God in every human that's saved in this room. And if you're not saved, it's the devil to prevent you being born of the Spirit of God that you may know this life. And so you wonder why the conflict is so intense. You wonder when you started coming to Balna Hench, everything started to go wrong. Can I tell you, everything started to go right? Because you got into the battle. You got into the field. You got into the cry for a revival, for a move of the Holy Spirit. We've been afflicted and pressed and pushed down. Not just us, but anyone who's seeking genuine move of the Spirit of God are coming up against great headwinds. But praise the Lord this morning. Thank God He's with us. Thank God He's building His church. Thank God He's coming for a glorious bride. We are not defeated this morning. But oh God, we need a revival. 
It's life. Now let me tell you what's important. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we'll look at this life. In Genesis 2 and 7, we know that God made everything good, perfect. There wasn't anything that God made that was imperfect. It was good. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that God, the Lord God formed man out of the, out of the dust of the ground. Here is a man. His name was Adam. He was mentioned this morning. The first man was Adam. But he was perfect. Can I tell you, friends, this morning, if Adam hadn't sinned, Adam would be sitting among us this morning as a perfect human. Think about it. Maybe not Balna Hench, but it could have been, it could have been Balna Hench. Like if we are here in Balna Hench, we're bound to pick Balna Hench, but Adam would have been here. He would have been a perfect human. Not nothing perishing on the outward. Everything about that man was absolutely perfect. If Adam had not sinned, he'd still be alive today. He could still run a hundred meters in under ten seconds, no problem. But when sin came in, death came, sickness came, every ailment came. That's why the outward man's perishing. God said, On the day that you eat, you're gonna die. We are dying men, but we have a life within us. So the aches and the pains, losing the hair and the teeth. Sorry this morning, but that's just all part of that fall. We're getting the new body. Would you say amen? You're looking forward to the new body. Would you see the head of hair we have? It's going to be amazing. No gray hairs. We're going to be black. White teeth. It's going to be amazing. Isn't it good, Paul? Praise the Lord. Yes. (laughs) But in this, we see the life. Here's a perfect man. Now, let me tell you, friends. Because I believe this is important. Especially in our day. We can easily discern, and rightly so, what's wrong. We can see it. And I believe as, as, as a shepherd, we have a duty to point out and to guard the flock. And to make you aware of the damnable heresies that are sweeping into the church today. And those that are wolves, that are in sheep's clothing, that are fleecing the flock of God. That's right. That's right. There's a righteous judgment. But also I want to say in that, I can have all my doctrinal ducks in a row. I can be absolutely sound, solid, 100% statement of faith. T's are crossed, I's are dotted. We know what we stand for, brother. And we know everything that's wrong in the church. And we know that this one's wrong, that one's wrong. And they're not of us, and they're not of us. And we stand here, and we're standing for truth. And we're not going to compromise one iota. I want to tell you something. We can't stand and contend for the faith. But unless we have the life of God, unless we have the power of a risen Christ, all that is is dead religion. We can have it denominationally correct. And I know in this country we have men that will stand. I couldn't tie their shoelaces when it comes to breaking down or bringing forth a doctrinal statement out of Scripture. But I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, this morning. That New Testament church in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, I see men that had some of the greatest revelations that are recorded in this book. But out of them came a river, a river of life. And unless we come to know, we can't have everything right. But until the breath of God is breathed into that body, it's just a body. And we need the life of God to breathe upon the body of Christ again. 
We might have everything right. We might be able to make the judgment. We might be able to point the finger. We might be able to identify what's wrong. But brothers and sisters, we've got to produce life. We've got to produce life. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, one of the great men of the New Testament, outside of Christ, possibly the greatest, his name was Paul the Apostle. Paul had more revelations than all of us put together. God gave him a thorn in the flesh unless he was exalted above measure because of the revelations that were given to him. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. And this is what he said. For our gospel, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5, our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. This cannot be a word only. There must be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost, the outward working of God in a life and in a church with the demonstration, mighty signs and wonders moving in the believers and an outworking of that in the church. When God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, the Bible says man became a living soul. Now Adam, that first Adam, lost it all through sin. Revival, remember, is a manifestation of this life. And that life, the life of God, revives, revitalizes, restores the hearts of God's people back to a place of energizing spiritual life and purpose. The Bible tells us the last Adam is Jesus Christ. Now John 1 and 1, if you turn over, again think this thought, the manifestation of life. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is Jesus. In Him was, what does it say? Let's do it again. In Him was, you're still with me, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Here's spiritual warfare right here. Here's the answer to the powers of darkness and bound the hench. Here's the answer to the strongholds of wickedness. Here's the answer to every witch's coven that's meeting in bound the hench this morning to pray against the church and Christian marriages. Here's the answer to every rise of every type of liberal movement in these final days. Here's an answer to the Muslims. Here's an answer to, to, the, to, to the homosexual agenda. Here's an answer. It's the life of Jesus Christ. You see, it's life. Not just activity, but it's the life of God in a heart and in a soul. The whole warfare that we're about, warfare that we're about is this life. That life gives light, and the devil hates the light. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. We are. You're the light of the world. You wonder why there's a battle? Because you've got Jesus in your heart. You wonder why everything seems to be going wrong. It's not everything's going right. Because Jesus hates the devil. Sorry, hates the Jesus that is in you. The life of God flowing out of Jesus, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, was the answer was the answer and is the answer 
to every single ailment and heart in this room this morning. Would you say amen if you believe that? Let me bring you to the Word of God, just in case you're not sure. Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. Matthew 14, 34. Matthew 14, 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. Let's all read it together. And as many as touched him were made perfectly whole. Can I tell you, he's lost none of his ancient power. As many as touched him, the life of Jesus Christ, the anointing of God in this last Adam, was flowing out of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as many as touched that life, Instantly, we're made whole. You know, we're living in a backslidden, dark day. But let me tell you, friends, and some might still be in doubt this morning about the mom with no arm. And some might still be in doubt this morning about the mom with no eyes. And some might be in doubt this morning about the mom with a deformed chin that looked like elephant man. But I want to tell you something. The power of a living God this morning touches a life. Let me tell you, whoever you are this morning, you may be sitting here indifferent. You may be sitting here hard, backslidden. You don't care. Wish this was over. It's time not up yet. He's going on long today. But let me tell you, friends, if the power of God burst forth in this room this morning, every sinner will be on their knees. And it's only God can do it. The power of God. Ezekiel 47 gives us a beautiful picture of this life. And Ezekiel 47 and verse 9, it talks about a river. That's Jesus. This river, that's the Holy Ghost. That's the river of God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But this is what it says. Shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come. What happens when the rivers come? They're going to live. And there shall be a great multitude, very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And then it says this, and everything shall live whether the river comes. Everything lives when the river comes. Everything. Now, listen, you've been a bit dead this morning, a bit backslidden, a bit cold in heart. If the river flows, believe in it, in these weeks that the river of God flows, everything that it touches, does somebody need to touch the river? Can I tell you this morning, you can touch the river, his name's Jesus, and instantly you can be made whole. There is life. There's an answer to the backsliding. There's an answer to the defeated Christian. There's an answer to the hidden sin. There's an answer to the indifference, to the barrenness. To the powerlessness. There's an answer. You know this morning only the Lord knows. But perhaps there could be a few. Just smoking flexes. There could be a few in here this morning. That we could say of them an air. The light in the temple is about to go out. They're so at a low place. So close to just saying I can't go on. I'll walk away. It's easier to walk away. What a lie from the pit of hell. What a lie from the devil. It's easier to walk away. And yet in all of that, there's an answer. For those that have lost their joy, there's an answer to the hypocrite. There's an answer to the slanderer. There's an answer for the church gossip. 
know what it is? It's the river. It's the river. The answer is the life of Jesus. Now we preach this next verse often and rightly so to the sinner. But I want to preach it to you this morning. And it's John 10 and 10. You may not even have to turn there. We should be able to quote it. John 10 and 10. Read it with me. Say it out loud. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. Not true. Not the devil. Isn't there a real devil? Come on, brothers and sisters. There's a real devil. There's a real devil. What's he come to do? Believer, what's he come to do? Steal, to kill and destroy. Now we'll preach that to those that aren't saved, and rightly so, because that's what he'll do. I'm going to preach it to you this morning, saint of God. The devil comes, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. How many people know that's true? It's the devil that comes. Good lad, Reuben, you're with me. The devil comes to steal, and to kill, and destroy. Isn't that right? We're talking about life this morning. Jesus said, but I am come... That you might have what? Life. Not only that. That you might have it more abundantly. It's abundant life. So we don't have it. Either someone's stolen it. Or we find ourselves in a place of sin. Unbelief. Hidden sin. Besetting sin. Wrong attitude. Wrong heart towards a brother. Harboring things in our lives. A loose tongue. You know, the Bible tells us clearly that that tongue can destroy. You know, it's not big devils that wreck the work of God. It's loose tongues. It's we members. It's we foxes. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Let me ask you something this morning. What's that mean? I think every believer who's been maybe on the road a wee bit is probably able to quote this verse. No problem. Thieves come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. What's it mean? What does the abundant life mean? Was Jesus playing a game? Was Jesus saying something that you couldn't attain to? Was Jesus offering something that he wasn't going to give us? Was this something that we could just say, but we don't live that way? You understand what I'm saying? Well, I say that, but see, tomorrow, through to Saturday... It's manic depressing for six days. But then in church on Sunday, I'm so happy Jesus saved me. I know, it's a wee, but it's true, isn't it? Is that how we live? Is it an abundant life? Yet he said, we can all easily this morning simply say that the thief, and we know it's to be true, has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's wrecking all around us. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. But not just life, not just activity. You can have abundant life. The abundant life surely cannot be just something written down on a piece of paper, something just put above a church door. There must be a demonstration of this abundant life. For the most, can I suggest something? We are seeing very little of the abundant life of Jesus. I'm not saying we're not seeing it. I'm saying we're seeing little of it. You see, where there is life, do you know the first thing you'll notice about this life? This is what you're going to see. You're going to see love. You're going to see joy. You're going to see peace. You're going to see long-suffering. 
You're going to see gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there's no law. And when Jesus walks into his garden, this is his garden. When he walks into his garden, it'll be a place that's bursting with the fruit of the Spirit. That's what abundant life brings. Do we need revival? Anybody with me this morning? Do we need revival? Now, I'm not talking about anybody else this morning. I'm talking about me. And please don't you think about anyone else. What about you? Do you need revival? The fruit of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 16 and 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. The life in the presence of God. There's fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's the presence of God. It's more than an expression of joy or an emotion of joy. There's a manifestation of life. There's a conviction of sin. There's a desire to walk in true holiness. An outworking of this life will be a deep impact on the kingdom of darkness. And the delivering power of this life, setting men and women free, I want to tell you what I believe happens truly in revival. I believe that the counseling chambers that have riddled the church of Jesus Christ are empty. Altars are filled and people are born and delivered by the power of Almighty God. Man's way is left completely empty. God's way is that he sets the prisoner free. The Bible tells us in John 7 and 37, in the last day and the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, And I always wondered why he cried with a loud voice. He wasn't quiet. Jesus stood and he cried. It's like the voice of the Lord. Not that he needs to shout, but it's like the voice of the Lord we carry through every generation from the day that he cried this out. Now we sitting here this morning would hear personally the voice of Almighty God, Jesus Christ. This is what he said. If any man thirst, humility. Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, what does he say? Out of his belly, what flows? Any believers in Jesus here? Come on, would you say amen? Is there a believer in Jesus? You're allowed to say amen here, by the way. You're a believer in Jesus. Now, what did Jesus say for those that believe in him? What did he say? I know you know the verse. We just know it's intellectually so often. We need the life. He said, out of your innermost being shall flow what? Rivers of living water. Praise the Lord, Frank. Rivers of living water. He cried with a loud voice. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. Out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It's as though... We would know it, but not experience it. It's as though we would say it, but not live in the reality of it. It's as though that the powers of darkness, our flesh and the sin, would so clutter us and bring us to a place of emptiness and barrenness that the Lord would have to raise his voice and say, Why are you living in the dirt and the death and the defeat out of your belly? I promise living waters. This speak he of the Spirit, which they that believe in him. Is there any believers here? Believers should receive this. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, and Christ was not yet glorified. I'm here to tell you, 
Number one, he's glorified. And number two, the Holy Ghost has been given. Jesus said, out of his belly shall flow rivers. How many in this room, how many of you have stood at a river that's banks are about to burst? One of those days where it's been raining for a few days. No, we get rain here. We get it good. And the rain's lashing down. And the winds are going. And they're warning us about the rivers. We were born not too far from the river legging. We didn't come up the legging in a bubble, by the way. But we're born close to the legging. And when the legging was near full, when those streams were bringing in all the rains that come down in those mountains, and you stand at the river legging, and those banks begin to rise up, and that river's flowing, it's an awesome thing. It's the power, it's the energy, it's the life, it's the sense of refreshing as that river's flowing with all its fury. No one can stop it. No man can stop it. No demon in hell can stop it. When the river flows, Jesus said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers. Now we've been reduced to trickles. Now we've been reduced to trying our best. And all we have is a trickle. Yet rivers is his promise. Life's the answer. Life's the answer. We don't burst with thanksgiving around the table. We don't weep for souls. We can make many things, but we can't make a prayer meeting. Oh, here's the pastor on his rant. I'm really not. There's no fervency in prayer. There's no agonizing in prayer. There's no movement when the word of God's preached. Listen, I could be standing up here reading you Enid Blyton. Some of you wouldn't even think. Wouldn't even bother you what I'm reading. There's backsliding. There's pride in hearts. But there's never an issue with the source. And the source is Jesus. Never an issue with the source. Until there's a deep Holy Ghost repentance. Brothers and sisters, the reviving life of Jesus always comes on the back of deep repentance. Always. The life of Christ manifested by the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, it's revival. Life's the answer. Our greatest hindrance today is we have come to believe that activity is life. You get a lot of activity going, that must be life. I want to tell you, friends, that doesn't mean that there's life, but activity comes from life. But today, regardless of the denominational diversity, we have come to believe that activity is life. Activity never produces life. But the life of God always produces activity. See the subtlety of it? So we can have it all going. We can have it all primed. We can have it all moving. But brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean it's the life of God. See, man's become very intellectual, very smart religiously. If we have all this presented in a certain way, it looks as though it's life. And that's the deception. And that's why they flock and there are thousands to it. That's why they go. Because they see activity and they think, that's life. But know what that shows me? People do want life. They're just drinking from the wrong cisterns. The broken ones. They do want it. So it's a day we need a genuine revival. How does it come? Coming to a close in a minute. 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. This life. This life. Matthew 28, verse 1. It's the end of the Sabbath. And it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. And then came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, glory to God, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came. What did he do? He rolled back the stone from the door. Hallelujah. It's resurrection morning. Jesus is alive. And he sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. His raiment white as snow. Verse 5, And the angel said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is. He's risen. Hallelujah. He's alive. I'm glad the angel didn't come here. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. The resurrection power of Almighty God, Jesus Christ. The power of this Christ, the resurrection power. The Bible says in Romans 14 and 9, For to this end Christ both died, rose, and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He was alive and dead, and he's alive again, and he's alive forevermore, and he holds the keys of death and hell. His name is Jesus. God raised him from the dead, declared him to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We are buried with him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of what? Life. Life. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, where does he dwell? Romans 8 and 11. He dwells. Are you saved this morning? As it were, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, that that angel came down, rolled that stone back, sat upon that rock, declared to this world that he's not here, that he's alive. He rose from that grave, broke the powers of death and the devil, Satan himself, and rose triumphant. And the same spirit, where does it dwell? It dwells in you. That shows you how dead we are. The life, the resurrection power, the power of this Christ. He has raised up Christ from the dead. What will he do? He'll quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I wonder how many people feel they need quickened. They need quickened. The revelation of what this is, the life of God, that is Jesus by the Holy Ghost moving in and through the church of Jesus Christ is the great need of our day. Habakkuk said, Lord, would you revive us? Would you revive your work? Would you revive me? Do you know where revival starts? Brian, I believe, always prays it in the prayer meeting. Lord, revive me. Do you know where it starts? It starts in me. It starts in you. I wonder this morning, do we need revival? I wonder, do we respond to God saying, Lord, I need you. 
If that's you this morning, make this prayer. Make it a prayer. Lord, not only revive your work, but Lord, revive me. I need revived. Bring the revelation to my heart. Father, this morning we pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, as your word has gone forth, Lord, it is your word. Lord, every word of Tim McElrath, I pray that will fall to the ground, it will die. But Lord, every word that comes from the throne of grace this morning, I pray that you would quicken it to every heart and every life in this room. Lord, you know every heart, the very hairs of her head are numbered. Lord, you know everything about us. Lord, we can't hide, but Lord, we confess we don't even want to hide. We want to come to you because you're a wonderful Savior. You're so merciful. You're so gracious. You're so long-suffering. Lord, there's nobody like you. Lord, forgive us for our backsliding, for our wandering, for our own ideas, for the things we harbor, keep in our hearts. This morning, Lord, we pray, enable us by the grace of Almighty God, Lord, to lay everything down and bring the revelation of the life of God that's in us and anoint us and baptize us afresh with the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, do a work that only you can do. Oh God, it's only you can do it. Lord, we can't create anything without your Spirit. And so, Lord, this morning, Lord, as your people, we simply say, Lord, help us. Lord, we don't even know how. We don't even know sometimes what to do. But, Lord, just to give ourselves afresh to you this morning. Say, Lord, do whatever you need to do. Lord, we confess. Lord, I just pray, give us the grace, even as we wait for these few moments for there to be confession in our hearts, for there to be true repentance in our hearts before you this morning. Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord. Oh, God, revive thy work. Revive thy work, Lord. Set us ablaze again with your love this morning. Oh, God, we we'll spend these few moments in the presence of the Lord.